Welcome to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Stark. Join me as I get to know folks in this community. They could be designers or streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, publishers, whatever. Really anything with the nerve at the end of its title is welcome here on the board game community show. Show, show. Welcome back to the board game community show. I today am rejoined by a guest that I've had in the past, guests of days gone by, Jess Metheringham. Hello. How you doing, Jess? I'm doing fine, thank you. I am feeling a little bit tired because uh, we're launching Library Labyrinth tomorrow. So obviously I've been dashing around, you know, all those tiny little bits you leave to the end and you think, oh yeah, we'll just slot that image in there. And then you think, oh, hang on, was it this image or that image? And then you put all three of them in the Kickstarter page and you're trying to work out which one fits best. And of course, then you forget what you do and you come back and go, ah, why are there three images? Basically, (laughs) that's where I am right now. (laughs) Nice. Just sorting through the mess, the pre-Kickstarter mess. And it's only going to get easier from here, right? Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> Plus, unfortunately, <laughs> my uh, my day job uh, has come at the wrong time as well. Um, so I do some politics work. And at the moment, there's a bill that I've been following that's going through the House of Parliament. And it's just really, it's the wrong day for it to come. But never mind. These things always <laughs> come together. Well, I think you took a vacation just before this. Was that planned to be like Kickstarter mess? politics mess like i i need a break before all this kicks off there was a little bit of that um that was coinciding with the uh the school holidays so we have oh. we have half terms uh, basically we spread out the uh the schooling over the year a lot more than americans do for example so we've got so uh there was a week long holiday that uh that the kids had so my husband took them off to see his parents and left me at home and then i had a couple of nights somewhere else and i was like my goodness this is brilliant i get to do lots of you know catch up on work and then had just a couple of days to go, I'm not doing anything for a bit. And it was lovely. It's what you needed, right? Absolutely. But now, of course, back in the mayhem. Yeah. And then you're going to need it again after this is all over. I'm definitely going to need it again after this is over. I mean, once Kickstarter campaigns can be a bit frantic. So once this is finished, you know, Regardless of where we get to, because it's by no means guaranteed funding, you know, and I'm sitting here going, ah, will we even fund? Then, you know, yeah, regardless of what happens, when March is over, then I'm going to be breathing a big, long sigh of relief. Before we jump into the Kickstarter, catch us up on, it's been nine months since you were on. I guess, you know, just summarize nine months into... (laughs) 
a short segment. No. <gasps> what has happened? Um, so we'd hoped to launch earlier. And we didn't launch earlier because there are four of us working on this game. And that summer, three of us moved house and all four of us got new jobs. So that meant that actually suddenly it was a bit like, oh, do we have, you know, do we have the time to do this now? So we looked hard at it and said, okay, let's let's push it back a little. Um, We'd also been looking at some of the some of the directions we could take it in because we knew we weren't going to get all of the art finished by the time the Kickstarter came along, but we were also experimenting with different types of boards. So, you know, this time, uh, you know, so I think I spoke to you at sort of mid summer and then, you know, at that point we just changed to tiles, flippable, rotatable tiles, which was a really new thing. So we've lent into that and we've really explored that and we've spent, We've spent that time playtesting as well and making sure that we've actually got the game right. So it has been time which has been well spent. Yeah, I, I've i been keeping up on it, but I absolutely love... Are they, uh, are they octagons now? Yeah, octagons. So octagons, they're eight-sided, right? yeah. yeah. So, it's, um, so rather than hexagons, which obviously fit together perfectly, when you tessellate the octagons, is that the right word? Let's say it's yeah. the right word. When you tessellate <laughs> the octagons, then you get these little square spaces between them. So we have this uh, playing space, the board, as it were, which is made up of 25 tiles. They're all octagons. So when you look down at them from above, you can see these little squares in between the tiles. Now, that's really good in two ways. Firstly, that allows you to pick up the tiles much more easily, to flip the tiles, to rotate the tiles, which you'll need to do during the game. But also, we have, you know, so this is a cooperative game, which you're playing kind of against the clock, but also there's an element of the board fighting back. The library is fighting back. There's a curse in it. Of course it's fighting back. Well, we've got a curse counter, you know, a little marker, which moves along between the tiles. So it fits into those little square spaces, which I think is quite a neat touch for a library because I'm always imagining this curse, not just sort of moving around the bookcases, but kind of going between them in the bits that you can't get to maybe even going into metaphorical space. You know, it's going into the spaces between words, the, you know, the spiritual dimension of the library. All sorts of things are possible. That is so awesome. Very beautifully put. (laughs) It's a library full of words. Everything is possible in this sort of, you know, in this kind of game. Yeah, that's... I. I didn't know that part of it. Like I've looked at the pictures and I see it now. I see that little curse piece that's up in the top left of this image that I'm looking at. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I not connect that? Like, that's so perfect. Um, (laughs) But, well, I guess you, you did explain kind of what this is, but let's talk about anybody who is unfamiliar with Library Labyrinth. Uh, Give us the rundown. What is it? What happens in Library Labyrinth? Well, essentially, this is a game about being trapped in a library. So it's all gone dark. There's a curse on the library. It's it's probably our fault. You know, us as players, I'm sure somebody read something from the wrong book. It's all us. 
Anyway, this curse has released these literary terrors. Some of them are monsters. Some of them are more in the line of just things you don't want there. Like, you know, the tornado from The Wizard of Oz, for example. It's not so much a monster. It's an obstacle. It's still pretty terrible. Anyway... These things are loose in the library. You've got Dracula over there, cracking around the corner. So your task, you've got to stop this curse, obviously, because the curse is, you know, going around, releasing more of them. You have to capture these terrible things. You have to put them back where they belong. You know, you have to reshelve them, put them back on the shelves where they should be. Um, so you are going to be moving around flipping tiles, rotating tiles, which is quite a sort of dungeon crawlery move. The game itself started very much as a dungeon crawler. What it's ended up as is more of a puzzle, actually, but it's still got a lot of those dungeon crawler type uh, uh, type motifs in it, where you're flipping a tile, there's something that spawns on it. What is it? You have in your hand characters which will help you. So rather than simply gathering weapons and making your own player character stronger, you are using the book characters to help you get the book terrors, which kind of all makes sense. So there you are. You've got these fictional women. You've got these historical women. So let's say you've got Heidi or you've, uh, you know, you've got, you know, you've got... uh, Alice in Wonderland. You know, you've got Alice in Wonderland, you've got Heidi, you've got uh, some people from history, you know, so maybe you've got Joan of Arc in there. Maybe, you know, you've got Mary Seacole in there, um, you know, and you're like, right, how can we take down these terrors? So, you know, can Circe team up with Little Red Riding Hood to put Dracula back in the book? That's basically the game. So there's a bit of set collection because you're matching what's on the character cards to what to what's on the terrors. Um, you're going around, you're moving around, you're managing what you've got. Um, you're doing this all against the clock, which of course is quite um, quite difficult because you've only got a very limited number of turns. You then have to capture terrors, put them back in the book. You win by shelving six terrors. Uh, to the correct shelves, of course. Uh, You lose by running out of time. You also lose by having more than five monsters there on the board at the same time. So if there are five terrors in the library, the library is overwhelmed. Wow. That is intense. I love it. Like, it's... uh, I love that you said it's a dungeon crawler type. It has some dungeon crawler type feels to it because it totally looks like that. But I like that it's not just like, we're a fantasy, you know, group and we're going and slaying orcs. And it, it's a very different and cool feel. And something else that I love, uh, which we haven't talked about today, at least, is that all of those he- uh, heroes, those heroic characters that are on your side are all female. They're all female. Uh, there is a non-binary person in there as well, uh, who is the public universal friend. Um, but with the exception of them, they're all female. And it is a really good way to look back into history and to look into literature and say, hey, some of these people have, you know, some of these people have been the main character and are well known. 
there are lots of others who are more of a supporting character, you know, and you think, oh, you know, I know about that person, but perhaps not very well. There are also, there's also quite a lot of um, people who you may not know because they come uh, from a different country, from a different culture. We've reached out and we've spoken to quite a lot of people and we've asked them who we should include and they've come back with different suggestions, you know, and saying, oh, this person, that person. And so we're working with quite a few cultural consultants and sensitivity readers to say, oh, hang on, what about that person? And they're saying, okay, if you include them, you've got to draw them like this, or you've got to have this as one of their main skills, which is really good. uh, Because although I've now read all the books that these people are from, and I have uh, looked carefully at many of the history books, there's some which I would not have known had I not been doing this project. That makes sense. Yeah, because you're researching and you wanted to, you set out to make female characters the the big draw. Exactly. Yeah. And there are some really cool people in there. You know, there are, there are people who, for example, you know, we know well, but you might not know well. For example, we spoke to the Mary Seacole Trust. Now, Mary Seacole, a few years ago, was voted uh, Britain's most well-known, uh, the most well-known Black Britain, I think. So she is a British Jamaican nurse who helped out during the Crimean War. Uh, not the recent Crimean War, obviously, uh, the one in the 1800s. So, you know, she's very well-known here in the UK, but might be much less well-known to a US audience. Literally, the only reason I'm familiar with her is from our last conversation. <laughs> like, other than that, I don't think I would have known. Yeah. <laughs> you not watch Doctor Who? <laughs> she was in a recent Doctor Who episode, for example. You know, oh, So cool. some people might go, oh, yeah, I recognize her from that. But if it wasn't for that, I think that a lot of people who are not British would not have, you know, would not have realized who she was. Yeah, I don't watch Doctor Who. (gasps) Oh, no. (laughs) I need to. Actually, it's funny. My wife, who is not very into like sci-fi or nerd stuff very much. But the other day she was like, maybe we should watch Doctor Who. I was like, okay, yeah, like I, I totally check that out. Anyways, that's a we're terribly behind with Doctor Who, I must admit, <laughs> but I do love it occasionally. Nice. <laughs> um, something I just thought of while we were discussing these female characters is: Did you have a favorite before you started female character in, in you know these books? And then as you've done more research, did that change? Oh, now that is a great question. Um, So there are some who I, you know, there are some who are in there because I have a sort of emotional connection and sometimes that's a nostalgic connection. Uh, For example, the Lady of Shalott is in there and uh, she's she's from the long poem about the Lady of Shalott uh, who... um, who is sitting at her loom and her mirror and, you know, a curse is on her. In fact, some of the curse things are more about her. You know, the curse is on her and she can't look down to Camelot. You know, and of course, you know, she breaks that curse and she decides, no, screw this, I'm going to go out, you know, <laughs> you know, forget about all this, I'm leaving my tower, you know, and she gets in a boat and she goes down to Camelot. And it's, you know, it's it's a beautiful poem and a very sad poem and one which... You know, when I was younger, I think I learned it for a, um, you know, for a school contest. And so 
she's definitely in there, you know, and I think she was one of my favourites. Um, but, yeah, right now it's really difficult to to choose a favourite, you know, particularly from some of those, you know, some of the women in history and you think, wow, this is amazing. You know, these these warriors and these spies and these people who have just done incredible things. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It would be hard to choose. I yeah, tough question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did bring up Mary Seacole because obviously she's, you know, she's somebody who's really great and also someone who someone who has a lot of business now. You know, she went out to be a nurse, but she also set up uh she set up what was known as the British Hotel, which was basically something where it was okay, you just come here you know, let's heal you. Let's just cut through all of the red tape. Let's just see, you know, see what you can do. You know, she went back to the UK, um, you know, and she, you know, she used a lot of that, you know, that business wisdom to, you know, to really teach other people and to make nursing more of a profession. Yeah, that is awesome. So you've got six categories, right? We have. We've got six categories with different colors. So you can choose what you, uh, you know, so when you, you know, when you take a book off the shelf, because that's essentially what you're doing when you're picking one of these cards, then, you know, then you'll know what section it would usually be shelved in. The color of the book cover basically corresponds loosely to what skills you can expect in there. There'll be at least one of those skills there. So there are six different types of book card. Um, there's children's fiction, there's classic fiction, there's legends, there's science, there's historical fiction, then uh, there's sort of the amazing lives, which is real life, you know, stories of resilience, etc., there are then six symbols which correspond to those, uh, you know, so uh, there's healing and kindness, uh, which is, the, you know, red heart. There's sort of creativity, uh, some expertise, uh, which is a pink triangle, which corresponds to classic fiction. Um, there's sort of more of the athletics, strength and keen sight, et cetera, which, correspond, uh, which corresponds to legends. Uh, then there's a science and logic, which corresponds to science. There's leadership and wisdom, which corresponds to the historical leaders. Then last of all, there's resilience and courage, which is amazing lives. So those are the six, you know, the six symbols and the six categories of books that you'll be dealing with and those are the those are the things that you'll be gathering up those symbols because each character has three or four of those symbols then using them to to match what's on the little terror tiles to defeat the terrors you know to capture them and put them back in their books and on top of those do they also have abilities they did have, you know, they did have specific abilities right at the beginning. Now we've taken those abilities and we've put them into a rewards deck. So you've got rewards cards as well. Um, so you'll often be combining the reward card with the character. Um, so it's a bit like, you know, those skills are things like strength or speed or courage 
Um, you know, some of them are things like kindness. You know, kindness I think is undervalued by you know by many of them. You know, so it's combining those together and saying, okay, right, what can we use this? And then perhaps you know you'll use one of the uh, the weapons because there are weapons that you find in the library. There's the sword from the Lady of the Lake, for example. You know, there's Minerva's spear. You know, so you might use one of those. But there are some um, some boosters that you can find in rewards as well, which do things like photocopy the card in your hand, because you know obviously you find photocopiers in the library, or they um, you know they do something like they allow you to take another library book. Um, some of them even find you a secret passage through the bookshelves. Oh, fun! <laughs> it's all useful. I mean, there was a. One of the really interesting things, the really fun things, was looking at this and trying to work out what you'd actually have in a library, you know, how we could relate it back. You know, so it was thinking, oh, there's a photocopier here. That's really useful. Quick, let's photocopy this character. So we've got two of her. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, <laughs> like I like that. It's almost it's yeah, being very clever with what you could find in a library. That's fun. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and you need to have like a little uh, trolley or cart. You know, one of the rewards is a uh, trolley or a cart or something or, uh, you know, where you can give something to someone else, you know, because you just scoot the trolley along. But there's also yeah. a library ladder. You know, think about think about uh, Disney's Beauty and the Beast and when she's, you know, you know, sweeping past on that library ladder. That's absolutely what we're going for here. It's like, hey, there's a library ladder. You can just sweep past one of the terrors. <laughs> That's my personal board game goal is to have a ladder shelf for my board games. Like, you can just swing Excellent. across. <laughs> In years and to I'm come. sure people would be like, you need to call those games. You need to. <laughs> Having no. that many is ridiculous. No. <laughs> because how else would they, you know, fill up these shelves with an exciting ladder? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have to be able to justify it. Goals. I absolutely love the artwork in this too. I think it's really charming. Who's your artist? Uh, Samantha Grieve. So Sam has been doing most of our art and she's, you know, she's really great. Um, so she's been doing sort of most of the character art. A lot of the formatting and the layout, some has been done by me, but I'm going to say that it's mostly down to Danielle. So uh, basically, Sam and Ella, who are our artists, um, I shouldn't call her Danielle, she's actually really called Ella. <laughs> um, you know, Sam and Ella have been doing the, you know, the how does it look, you know, and they've been looking at this and going, okay, right, how do we fit this in here? You know, and in fact, you know, finding that style was something that they worked on quite a lot at the beginning, you know, trying to work out what was too cartoony and what wasn't, you know, what was the right amount of, of brightness and light to have in there. So Sam would suggest something and then, you know, we'd get some feedback from Ella and, you know, and then we'd talk to Ella and I'd say this and Ella would say, Nah, nah, Jess, do, you know, do it like this. And she was always right. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's one of the benefits of working in a team that actually you get different different viewpoints. And to have a couple of people who who have a really good feeling for it, 
Um, you know, so Mel and I were basically looking more at the design. You know, we're all you know sort of pitching in to a certain extent, although some of us obviously can draw considerably better than others of us. <laughs> so <laughs> you're all pitching in, you know, and Mill and I are saying, oh, how, you know, this, you know, this bit should do this and that bit should do that. And, you know, and there was a time when I was doing an awful lot of the online playtesting and Mill was doing a lot of playtesting in real life. And we were coming back with slightly different feedback. So sort of trying to work out how that works and then saying to Sam and Ella, Hey, how does this how does this fit in with this? And you know, and Sam saying, "Well, I can do it like this." And then you know, listening to Ella and saying, "Oh, actually, that bit is definitely too small for that." And Ella's saying, "You can't see this." And I'm like, "Yes, yes, I, actually, I know." <laughs> I get it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard sometimes to let go of those things, you know, when you think, "Oh, it'll be great," and then you know, someone's like, "No." <laughs> The yeah. practical heads always win, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Every time I work with an artist, I get a certain idea in my head, and I'm like, oh, this would be really cool if it was this way. And they're like, well, let me show you what I think it should be. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, dang it, that's better than what I thought. Like, they'll yeah. take it, and they, they make it actually work. <laughs> yeah. No, it has been really useful to work as a team, you know, to have a team of four of us and to say, oh, actually, yes. This is how it should be working. It's been really useful. So I guess that's another unique thing, right? Is your team is all female, right? We're all female. Yes. Um, so we're going through, you know, so yeah, the people who've been working on this are entirely female. We are publishing, self-publishing through Descent Games, which has two directors, one female and one male. Um, but the directors haven't actually been involved in this. They, uh, they do the bookkeeping, essentially. <laughs> Oh, nice. <laughs> well, that's really cool, though. It's so rare to, like, you look at uh, Kickstarter projects, GameFound projects, and you get to the team, and it's like, maybe there's one girl in the team, you know, like, or, and so it's, it'll be really fun to see. I Do you have that, like, about us section in your yeah, Kickstarter page? We do indeed. We have little pictures of all of us. We may oh, have been arguing about which pictures to use. <laughs> <laughs> no we have little pictures of all of us so you know you can actually go and see what we look like nice <laughs> that's fun see it's i like that section like i usually i'll look at everything but then there's like always the segment that i'll skip through and then i'll go to the team because i like to look who uh who i'm supporting by backing kickstarters <laughs> excellent <laughs> so do i to be honest yeah <laughs> oh good I'm sure I'm not. I know that, you know, when a team is all white males, sometimes they get called out, you know, like, oh, you know, no, no room for diversity here or anything, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, we are. So we're 100% female and we are three quarters white. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there you go. Yeah. I'm really, really excited about that. Like, it'll be it'll be so nice to see something different that way and i think speaking to that too like the thing you've created you all have come together to create is something that appeals not only to women like mm -hmm. it, it appeals to everybody but hopefully this is the type of theme that other people um like last week i was talking to elizabeth hargrave mm -hmm. and you know wingspan brought in yeah. a lot of women because it's like a natural draw a woman designer mm -hmm. like 
designing interests she's into. And so, yeah. It's a great game. You know, I do like Wings, uh, Wingspan. Um, so, so I love the theme of Wingspan, but also those illustrations, they're so, yeah. you know, they're so fitting for the game. They look like what you find in books. And I do quite like leafing through those books. Oh, yeah, that's true, huh? Yeah, but yeah, they are, you know, they're just perfect for the game. Yeah. So, yeah, we actually have a section there in the Kickstarter page where we're talking a bit about who the game is for, because, you know, clearly it's not just for women. But we've made it so that it's quite easy to scale in difficulty because we did have a lot of people who were talking about whether they could play it with children. And you know, we're thinking, OK, you know, this is a game where we want you know, we want non-gamers to be able to play it and enjoy it. We want, you know, we want children, not, you know, not very small children. Um, you know, so mine is five at the moment. And I'm like, that's, you know, that's, you know, that's way too, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but we want, um, but it's definitely something that we want families to enjoy. But we also want it to be something which could be much harder. So there are several different ways you can scale it. Um, so, for example, we have included uh, some additional floor tiles in there. You know, so I said it was on a, a, a grid of 25 floor tiles. We've included an extra five floor tiles in there. So you can swap out some of the different tiles in order to make it harder or easier. You know, that's a really uh -huh. good way to scale the difficulty. But you could also give yourself more time. Um, there are some additional turn cards. Um, the time also varies a lot depending upon uh, how many people are playing. That's the main factor that varies for the number of players. So a two-player game, you get nine turns each so you get 18 cards whereas a five player game you get 25 cards so it's five turns each you know for example just to you know to try to you know that's the main thing that balances it for different player counts but you could always you know you could always put in a couple of extra cards in order to make it that little tiny bit easier plus the terrors themselves the things that you are trying to capture they have different numbers of symbols on them. So you can uh, you can deliberately pick out some of the ones which have more symbols on to make it a bit easier. You could take out some of the ones which have fewer symbols to make it that bit harder. So That makes a lot of sense. That's very clever to be able to scale all that. It works quite well, actually. You know, trying to, you know, because, I mean, particularly the timing, you know, because when you're playing a standard game, most of the time we've found that that you either win or lose on the last turn. You know, that's generally been the experience. And it's it's probably about 50-50 at the moment, you know, going to conventions. It's that last turn and it comes down to it and you're like, ah, I'm going to lose. Or, or maybe yeah. you're just going to win. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, making it a little harder or easier can really help. <laughs> I want to say the smart Alec thing of, um, well, of course it's the last turn if you win, because why would you keep playing after you win? <laughs> that is a <laughs> very <lose>. good point. <laughs> I always tell 
whenever someone says like, oh, it's always the last place you look, it's like, of course, because why would you keep looking after? <laughs> that but is I'm sorry, no. Excellent point. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, time wise, it's always the last, you know, the last time, you know, the last of the time card, you know, the curse cards that you're turning over. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> you know, and you think, you know, I've got to do it this time. But you are right. I should be, you know, more careful with my words. <laughs> no, I totally understood what you were saying, though. But I just had to say that because I thought it was. It's a, of course. What else? I'm a little. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but I, I like how you do that, too, uh, because I look at co-op games and a lot of times I think there's like certain problems that can arise with turns and timing like you know if you're playing a four-player game sometimes it doesn't work as well as a two-player game or it's you know a lot easier as a two-player game and it's you know more challenging at four because of the amount of time it takes to get a rep back around to you and so you don't get to build up as big of a collection at four players or or get as much done at four players and so that's a really challenging thing i think in co-op games yeah i think it can be you know particularly you know particularly if you can't scale the time like that um, yeah you know, so something like pandemic you can't really just leave out part of the deck that you draw from you know because that you know that wouldn't quite work because then you'd be leaving out some of the cities which may well be the ones that you really need um you know so you scale it you know by putting more of the epidemic cards in there you know and that you know that does make sense but it is a little bit of a challenge to do that i mean so, there's never going to be a game which is actually really the same at different player counts. You know, and we certainly found that uh, for ours, you know, for Library Labyrinth, when you're playing with four or five players, then you've got to do quite a lot of helping each other. You know, then it's all about getting the right card to the right person, you know, and rotating the tiles because you can rotate the uh, the floor tiles and the, um, they're not crossroads. In fact, most of the floor tiles are not crossroads. So you know you've got to make sure that they're facing the right way in order for the you know for the path to be going right. Essentially, you know to actually have a path through the bookcases. Um, so yeah, with the four and five player game, then it's very much about trading cards, getting them to the right player at the right time. With a two and three player game, then there's quite a lot of hand management you've got to deal with, um, you know, because, of course, you've got fewer hands there. So it's very much about, okay, right, which of these, you know, which of these terrors have I got? You know, which cards have I got? You know, can I get over there in time, etc. When you're playing a solo game, then you've actually got to do a little bit more of finding the terrors, which is not a problem with the other games. But it's much more of a race against the clock then, because you're really looking at it and going, ah, I've got to find these things and I've got to shelve them before time runs out. Um, so it gets much more difficult. With the solo game, um, you you kind of have a second hand, but it's sort of a semi-hand. You know, you have your normal hand of cards, but you are also followed round the library by your semi-sentient trolley companion who uh, you can put books on and basically that, you know, that'll follow you around and, you know, it can't uh, capture things for you. It can't reshelve things for you, but it's a place where you can put things that you've captured on. 
Do people name the trolley and when they're playing solo? Do they call it oh, trollers or something? We need to do that. We haven't explored <laughs> that angle yet. We so need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the idea of, well, like there's a video game, uh, Don't Starve, and they have like this little chest that will follow you around. It like hops around. And so I almost pictured that. And it looks like a little pet, but the chest. So that yeah, sounds like, that. like exactly the sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> there was some, you know, there was, a, there was a little bit of a thought towards uh, Terry Pratchett and uh, the luggage there. You know, oh, with the suitcase okay. sort of follows. Around. I mean, that was, that was kind of the thought process, you know, a, yeah. this trolley that equally does something. I really like that. Uh, naming optional, though. You know, <laughs> I know every game I'll come up with a different name for it. <laughs> Maybe that should be one of the stretch goals that we could have a little sign that you could put up that, you know, with your name of your trolley on it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Well, let's talk about the Kickstarter. That mm. starts tomorrow from when we're, re- we're recording this, which is, that means it's been live for... Three or four days. Well, it starts on the first of March. So, however many days you are into March, that's how that's how long it's been live for. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, that's a lot more simple. Um, and how many days is it going for? So it's going till the end of March. Um, we've basically said that it will be the month of March because that makes perfect sense. Um, so it's going to finish at 10 p.m. UK time, the 31st of March. So don't wait until the last few hours of March because depending where you are in the world, it may have already finished. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just back it as soon as you <laughs> as it goes live. That's what I say. Yay! <laughs> yes, and it's quite a small box. You know, it's quite a small box. So okay. we're hoping that shipping won't be extortionate. Yeah. Do you have different levels, pledge levels? Um. We we are also offering tote bags now. The uh, the book the bookish community the bookworm community let's call it you know the bookish community uh, <laughs> do love a good tote bag as indeed so do I. So um, we are offering some tote bags alongside it, but essentially the game is the game. Um, you know, you can get one copy of the game, you can get more than one copy, you know, particularly, you know, there may be people who want to donate one to a local school or a local library or community centre, for example. Um, but you can also get these nice tote bags, which we haven't quite finalised the design for, uh, plus uh, plus some postcards. But yeah, we're deciding to keep it fairly simple at the pledge levels. Perfect. I enjoy, I, I appreciate that, you know. <laughs> Well, we don't want something where it's, you know, huge numbers of different things and people thinking, oh, this version or that version. No, the game is the game. Yeah. You brought up giving it to schools or donating it to schools type of thing, you know, which I wanted to bring up. I think we might have talked about this too last time, but also when I was talking with Elizabeth Hargrave, she was saying like, we talked about the educational aspect of her game and it's like, well, it's all very passively uh, you know, it's not trivia related or anything like that. And I think yours does exactly the same thing where you've got a little bit of information about the character and a female character. And like, it's just, you don't need yeah. to know the character, but you get it. You get to learn. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, so there are a couple of different ways to, to learn things. Clearly there are people who want to go and, you know, who are very keen on, 
learning particular things and you know trivia games are perfect for them then there's the sort of the more of a drip drip the slow normalization of something and that's what we're going for with this game that it's something where we are definitely saying this is fun first then education second but it's a a slow normalization of how you know these characters are all really cool they've done really exciting stuff some of it is real some of it is fictional but they're all people who you could go and look up in your local library for example you know yeah we need to make this genre uh like an official genre on bgg of fun first educational second <laughs> yes that should be it the kind of yeah the uh Drip, drip, educational? No, that doesn't quite work. Yeah, but you know what I mean. You know, where drip, it, drip games. <laughs> drip, drip games. It sounds a bit drippy, though. I'm not sure that's going to catch on. No, yeah, but we do. We need a term for that because, like, educational games. You think like either very, very young age where it's like teaching colors and shapes, mm-hmm. or trivia type games where it's like you're you're more so like being asked questions and then you learn as you get them wrong and find out the answers. But this is like, there's, there is definitely like a genre of games where you are actually, you're having a lot of fun and it, that like the content of it is the meat of it. But there's also like, you're passively learning. I don't know. Passively educating. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. It sounds, you know, passively sounds a little, I don't know weak almost and i'm not quite sure what it is you know passive doesn't quite sound right but i'm not sure what would be right we could just go with passive for the time being until we find a better term someone (laughs) else will come up with a better term yeah i'm like listeners what do you think (laughs) what do you you think is a good term i mean i like drip drip (laughs) (laughs) but it doesn't sound right either (laughs) changing the world games that's what it is slowly changing the world (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate that uh okay so kickstarter back to that you've got your pledge not a lot of you know it's Mm -hmm. essentially one or two pledge levels one with the yeah bag and one without yes yeah plus getting extra copies because we haven't got it as an add-on we've got tote bags as an add-on so it's gonna look pretty simple when you go there basically it'll be fine (laughs) yeah do you have some stretch goals planned we have some stretch goals. Again, we're keeping them quite simple. Um, one of them is that at the moment, the so at the moment the timer for the game uh, that's a deck of cards, which are cards which disturb the cu- the curse. So the curse is moving around the library, and these cards disturb the curse. So every uh, time at the end of a turn, you turn one over, and it tells you which of the floor tiles uh, the curse has targeted that turn. And then, oh. depending on you know, depending on what you know what happens, uh, that you know that turns over, or perhaps it rotates, or perhaps a new terrible thing spawns on that tile. You know, depending what type of tile it is and you know where it is at the moment. Um, but we have a f- you know, so one of the stretch goals will be to have some some spicier curse cards. Whereas rather than just one t- one of the floor tiles, they affect two floor tiles. So oh. that would be quite interesting. So again, that's something for those uh, for those players who want to play on a slightly harder setting. That adds a little more luck into it, you know. And a bit of luck is good, 
but it's 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 a little more luck. So I think it's for those players who go, hey, let's try it with this. So let's see if it becomes something that a lot of people want. Uh, we also have uh, we also have one of the things you can do in the game. You can pass an action to another player. So you can take one of your actions and you can say, hang on, actually, I don't need this. I'm going to give you my action. You can't keep passing it around. It can only be to the you know the person who's going to play next. So we're going to have a little you know token for that. You know that's going to be a stretch goal. And I think finally we're also going to have some little cloth bags. Um, so rather than an insert, you know, we're hoping that hopefully we'll get a few thousand pounds more, and then we'll have cloth bags to put all your tokens and bits and pieces in. Lovely. I like that a lot. That's way better than like a little plastic Ziploc bag. Exactly. You know, little cotton bags. Well, perfect. Um, I think that covers the Kickstarter. Is there anything else you want to talk about before uh, about the game? No, no. I am mainly feeling like I'm just, you know, I'm mainly feeling like I'm, you know, just tidying up all those bits. You know, I'm just like, panic <laughs> in a good way, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It is really exciting. <laughs> it is. It's also very much, you know, heart in mouth time. Yeah, oh, yeah. I can imagine. I mean, I don't think I can even imagine, actually. I try to empathize, but, like, I feel like if I was actually doing it, it would be even worse, <laughs> even crazier. You'll have to do a Kickstarter so, one day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> one day. <laughs> yeah. So, everyone, go check that out. I'll plug it. We'll plug it again at the very, very end. But between then and now... We've got we've got a little catching up to do because there's some new things since you were on last. Yeah. So one of the new standard questions, which I forgot mm -hmm. to ask last mm -hmm. week, is in an ideal situation, what is your play style? Like if you were playing with three other Jesses at the table, mm. is it like competitive, trash talking? Is it cooperative? Is it just playful? You know? Ooh. Now that is difficult. I tend to go for uh, the extremes. Um, so I really do love a good trash talking game. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's brilliant. And um, actually, my husband is quite similar in style to me. And um, there was a uh, there was a game I was uh, playing around with a while back, which may come back in some form, I'm not quite sure, but which was very much about trash talking and uh, went up and, and playtested that with his parents and whew, the air, it was blue. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> yeah, well, I learned a lot about his parents then. <laughs> Lots of trash talking. <laughs> More swearing than I've heard pretty much ever. <laughs> Oh, wow. Hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. That's brilliant. But I do also really like a good cooperative game. You know, one where you are really sitting down and puzzling over it together. During uh, during one of the lockdown periods here in the UK, then we played uh, Pandemic Legacy Season 2, which was quite a lot of that. You know, you're sat there sort of going, oh, hang on. But if I do that and you do that, and it sometimes takes a good 10 minutes of conversation before you work out, you know, you know what move someone's going to take. 
you know, something where it really is something where you have to discuss it together rather than just a rather than just a game with a shared goal, you know, a game where you have to cooperate the entire way through. Yeah. That is a really interesting thing there is that in a cooperative game, I've never thought of it quite this way. Is like, you know, if you're playing competitively and one person is taking a long time on their turn, if if they were to take 10 minutes on one turn, mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh my gosh, make up your mind, you know, like you might get a little annoyed. Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you're a better person than me. Uh, <laughs> I might just make a cup of tea. Oh, there you go. I'd likely be the person taking the 10-minute turn, according to my wife. So, uh, <laughs> But in a cooperative setting, it's like it's not uncommon, but everybody's participating in that thought process. And, and I think that's a really interesting thing that I've never really like clicked with co-op. But yeah. So yeah, basically the extremes. There were, there are some games, you know. So you know, I play a fair number of two-player games, obviously, at the moment. And there are some games that I play with my husband, and we just shouldn't play that game. Um, we played, well, we played Quirkle once, uh, uh, just the two of us, and discovered that we had almost three squares. Because both of us were concentrating so much on how nice it looked rather than points that it just didn't work properly as a game. That's awesome, though. (laughs) It almost becomes like a cooperative experience in that instance because it's like we just want it to look pretty. (laughs) Exactly. But it wasn't quite it wasn't quite what the the game should be, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. No, you that's the cool thing about games. You get to make it what you want. <laughs> that is true. Uh, yeah, it's it's about your experience. So whatever is the most fun for you, right? Yeah. Uh, I feel like there was a game like that with my wife where, oh, Calico. Like mm. people were talking about hate drafting in Calico. And I was like, I literally never thought about hate drafting. I always like, if I see my wife needs a tile and there's two options and neither of them are great for me, I'll take the one that's not going to, you know, like hurt her strategy because I, I don't know. I just am like always that not, you know, like that. Not, I'm just a nice guy is what I'm saying, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit that quite often I do fall into that category. You know, quite often it is, you know, that I go for the, you know, the nice option. But it depends, you know, which is which is why I quite like the extremes. You know, I quite like a game which either forces you to be the really bad one or, you know, really good. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I imagine, too, it's a, well, that's why this question's posed in, like, the ideal situation. Because in a group, you can adapt and have fun, just like Absolutely. how you adapt to play the game. Yeah. Yeah. So... I, uh, yeah, I would have just as much fun having a really competitive time and taking those like cutthroat moves. I can't remember what your favorite game was last time, but I'm sure it has changed. We'll see. I'll have to compare later. Has it changed? What would I have put down? I know I have a spreadsheet somewhere with all of the, uh, I might have said that it was out, um, Alhambra because I do love Alhambra. Uh, but I haven't actually played it for ages. Uh, you know, that's sort of that's my 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 traditional favorite game, as it were. You know, the one uh-huh. I kind of go back to. Um, but it may. Uh, but I mean, recently I haven't. You know, I haven't played that for a long time. I think. 
I think Subterra is probably up there as a real favorite game. I do love Subterra. That is a darkly beautiful game. I was looking at it this week. I've never played it, and I really want to now. Have you not? It's uh, so that is one where you do have to be properly cooperative, and you do have to be, you know, paying attention to, you know, to what other people are doing because you are trying to work together. Uh, but yeah, you're trying to get out of this caving system, and there are all sorts of things down there. You know, there's gas, there's flooding, there's steep cliffs and things that you fall down so yeah yeah it's great it's it's a really good game nice all right probably changed then i maybe before i or when i update like uh when i record the outro i'll listen back and find out what your old one was and we'll see <laughs> we'll see if it was a hombra but perfect <laughs> yeah and then what have you been up to outside of board gaming Ooh, outside of board gaming. I think we probably touched on this at the beginning. I so, yeah, so my day job involves a fair amount of politics, so it's been quite busy in the day job at the moment. Um, but yeah, outside of board gaming, oh, I have been reading the most fiendish literary puzzle, you know, which oh, was ever devised. Right. So I have been reading Kane's Jawbone, and Kane's Jawbone was written in 1934, I think, by the crossword compiler for the Times newspaper. And so it is a, so it's a murder mystery, you know, so it's a book, you know, it's a book, it's a murder mystery in which six people die. Um, You have, but, but the pages have been printed out of order. So there's a hundred pages in it. You have to basically cut out all the pages. You have to work out what order they come in. Now, Bear in mind that it's been written by the crossword compiler for the Times. It's extremely cryptic. So there's there are no pages, for example, where they say, and so-and-so died and was just lying there. You know, there's nothing like that. There are pages which kind of speak, you know, speak in a very you know, meandering way about poisons or, you know, there's one that speaks about a window, but it's not 100% clear, you know, what exactly has happened there. Um, It's fascinating and incredibly difficult. Okay, so I didn't know that you, like, you could literally cut them out and try and figure out Mm. what order they go in. So does that mean, is it single-sided or are they double-sided? Pages. Um, so it's single sided. Yeah, they're okay, single sided pages. Sense. You know, they're single sided pages, um, with the exception of four pages, four out of the hundred. They all start and finish on a uh, full stop. You know, they all. You know, they all complete sentences. You know, there are four that go on to each other, and yeah. But the way that it's been printed has also been printed in order to give you a sense of some red herrings. So, you know, there are definitely things that he's, you know, that he's trying to suggest there. And, yeah, there are a few things which I'm sure are double bluffs. So, yeah. (laughs) Do you have any inkling on what, obviously no spoilers, but are you starting to get a feel for it, do you think, or...? How's the investigation? <laughs> I'll say, if anybody's thinking of trying to do it, 
I think you should probably read The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. You should probably read Three Men in a Boat, because I think he's pulling off a double bluff there, but I'm not going to say what the double bluff is, but I think it might actually possibly be a triple bluff, but I'm not entirely sure that. It could be a red herring. Um, But I think he's probably... Yeah, and you should probably also get some flower knowledge. There's definitely a lot of botany in there. Anyway, oh. I really don't have a clue. <laughs> you know, there are, there are loads of things where I'm looking at that and I'm going, okay, so this is the book that's being referenced and this is what this is. And I think I've worked out through several different clues the narrator's last name I mean, this is the sort of level of clueness that it's just, uh, it's quite silly. Wow. It's, it's really difficult. Yeah, that sounds intense. Huh. Maybe I'll have to. I'm not like a great puzzler, so I feel like this is way over my head. So I am not particularly good at crosswords, which makes me think this may not be for me. But, um, you know... But I have got quite a lot of literary knowledge, which is probably why I'm making a board game about libraries, you know, because I'm a good reader. <laughs> this makes <laughs> you know. sense. Adds up. <laughs> well, you know, so with that kind of classic, you know, classic reading, you know, so I'm looking at this and I'm basically thinking, OK, this is written in 1934. What is, you know, what's high on the author's agenda? what's recently been published, what are the classics at that point, et cetera. You know, so that, hmm. that, 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 that probably does give me advantage. Um, plus, I do love whodunits. Um, so I've read all of the Agatha Christie's, I believe, uh, for example, which is 60 nice. on <laughs> Wow. Oh, I did not realize there was that many of them. Oh, yeah. My, um, my sister bought me a set a few years ago, um, she uh, she found a set in a charity shop and she gave me this box, this cardboard box for Christmas with just all of these books <laughs> that she'd got wow. from the charity shop. She was like, right, here's your present. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that's really, really cool. Do you have an impressive library shelf of books? I have a fairly impressive library shelf of books. I mean, there's only, there's only one bookcase in this room. But it's 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 fairly impressive. It's also got all of the um, the uh, the fighting fantasy books at the top. You know, the choose your own adventure books. Oh yeah, you guys, you over there say fighting fantasy, but it's the I think we have a different name for it over here. You probably do, or possibly it's just different companies because there's multiple you know people who are the uh, who did the choose your own adventure ones. So oh, maybe that's it. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I, I know in conversations with people from your side of the pond, they say fighting fantasy. And like now I, my brain will go to the choose your own adventure. But for a while, I was always I always had to ask, like, wait, which is that again? I feel like I should know this. <laughs> that might be one of those things where quite often a brand name takes over as being that thing. You know, yeah. It's actually, you know, just, just because it's the most common. Yeah. I'm going to I I don't know why I've never looked this up. Later I'll look up and see if uh, if it's something here in America. But oh, I don't know. Well, if it's not, then you are missing out. <laughs> yeah, well, then I've got a whole new thing I can go look, uh, uh, import them in, I guess. I don't know. 
<laughs> I'm sure they're available somewhere, oh, yeah. readily available here. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, the last thing that's new, ridiculous theme. Ridiculous theme literally started the episode after yours. Oh, so I, you had just missed it. Wow. Well, I do have a ridiculous theme, and you know this is this is drawn from my day job. So a Ooh. few, you know, so this is this is one of those themes where you might have to you know dial it down in order to actually make it plausible. Um, so a few weeks ago, uh, then I was following. Uh, one of the parliamentary stages for legislation going through parliament. Yeah. So I was following this along and there was a point when, you know, there was a point when uh, the house of Lords who was the one you know, doing the scrutiny were trying to work out how best to defeat all these government's amendments. There was a point where the Lords were literally voting on whether or not they would have dinner. And so, you know, you know, they voted not to, and then the minister went and had dinner anyway, and then the lords were very annoyed about it. And so I think that what we need is we need a uh, a quick, silly card game, which is about government whips trying to prevent various people from voting through legislation. So you're all parliamentarians of some sort. You know, it's... A, Basically, a bit like a filibuster. Uh, a filibuster. 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 That's it. <laughs> a bit like a filibuster, but not so much of the talking on the house floor, and more the preventing people from getting there into the house. So, you know, so so for example, there could be uh, there could be lords being detained because uh, because they've been given a really good dinner, so they're late back, so they don't get to vote in that thing, or locked in the lavatory. I mean, that has genuinely happened. <laughs> you know, members <laughs> of the House of Commons are locked in the toilets in order to prevent them getting somewhere, or you know, oh all sorts. <laughs> So I think there should be a game about all of the machinations that you as the, um, we call them whips over here, you know, the government whips and the opposition whips, you know, all of the things that you're trying to do in order to prevent people from getting back to vote. You know, you'd obviously be playing cartoon bad characters of some sort, you know, and there would be options to, you know, break for dinner, vote down dinner. No, the minister has gone missing. All of those things. (laughs) That is quite ridiculous. I like that. <laughs> and I did not see that coming. I was like, I was trying to figure out where it was going to go. And that, that, I like that. That's fun. It got me thinking of Schoolhouse Rock. What are we going to call it? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> it's, that same, it's that same chaos. You know, it's something where I want to, you know, to have a sense of chaotic... I don't know, you know, who knows what's going on, but also a real sense of the the cartoon villains type thing behind it. Yeah, like a dastardly mustache. (laughs) Dastardly. Dastardly is definitely something. You know, you are dastardly whips. That's basically (laughs) it. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, whipped is just a good name, or whips is a good name for it too. Like, it is a good name. Um, yeah, I don't know if you you presumably don't call them whips. I'm assuming that is only us who does no, that. Yeah, yeah, we've got whips over here, or at okay. least okay, okay, yeah, yeah, that or 
Uh, yeah, I think that we just have whips. Well, in that case, you know, the ter- yeah, the name travels well then. So yeah. it could be called Whipping It Up, maybe? <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> there you go. You've got a quick, you've got a quick uh, silly, chaotic card game in which you are all dastardly whips doing dastardly <laughs> things. Uh, that's great <laughs> and of course you would have to have the things voting on like be very silly otherwise it oh, could yeah. you know like tear relationships up and end friendships and <laughs> this is not a you know this is not a uh, serious game but yeah you know you know you'd be voting on you know the color of the curtains those sort of things <laughs> yeah <laughs> I almost wonder, you could almost make that like a, uh, like an actual party game where you and your friends are all together and you're deciding what's for dinner. And so then everyone has to like write down what's for dinner and then you play the cards and like what, see what passes through or, or what order you do things or what, yeah, what you're going to do. I don't know. It'd be tricky, but. I almost wonder. (sighs) So I almost wonder if this could be a kind of dinner party game. You know, you know how you yeah. used to have those dinner party murder mystery games and right. you, know, you have to spend the evening trying to work out, you know, who the murderer is. Could you have that kind of format? But yeah. Oh, that would be I like hilarious. that even. Yeah, like you just took that up to another level. That's so good. Almost like, uh, yeah, the those murder mystery nights. But you can have your whole... You could be doing a game night, but playing the game night as if you were parlo- you know, whips and and oh. <laughs> the government. And uh, there's another, there's a game that has that like type of thing, and I forget what it's called. I always forget, but they do like um, you've got hidden objectives throughout the night. Oh, yeah, um, that's and so it'll good. be like you need to get somebody to to think that their phone is ringing and like pull mm. out their phone to look at it. See, check for a missed call or something like that, you know, like silly things like that, but make it more of the like voting style. And yeah, it could be interesting. That would be, that would be fascinating. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's a great ridiculous theme. <laughs> <laughs> While you were talking about that one, I, I thought another direction you were going to go was that you are the bill and like, mm-hmm. So everybody is playing a bill and they have to like get it passed. So like as if you're a walking, isn't that Schoolhouse Rock? I don't know if you guys have are familiar with that. No. Ooh. I know that it's very American because it taught America, but or it's like teaching Americans about the political system. I'm think that kind of format, you know. So I have, you know, so I have heard of Schoolhouse Rock, but never been, you know, but I haven't played it. You know, I'm trying to think of those sort of. Of those sort of games. Well, that, that was an old cartoon. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, so we used to play, you know, when I was a, you know, when I was a kid, we used to play some of, you know, some of the games that you see in cartoons and you see, you know, yeah. You know, so things like Grandmother's Footsteps. But we also used to play sort of things like Ratchet Screwdriver where you're in different, you know, you're in, 
two circles and you know and the people on the inside have to get over to the other side of the circle and the people on the outside have to stop them and you know and I'm thinking this could get quite physical and quite silly quite quickly yeah (laughs) I've never heard of that game I I wonder if that's just is that a UK thing I think it might be have you ever played and the title is a bit it is not reflective of the game, actually. Have you ever played non-competitive musical chairs? Uh, I mean, I've played musical chairs. So you take away the chairs, but you don't take away the people. And so you all have to get your feet off the ground when the music stops on an increasingly small number of chairs. Which basically involves a whole number of people trying to balance on these chairs. And it just, it gets really, really silly, really, yeah, really quickly. And it's a team game, basically. You know, you've got two games, you know, two teams, you know, doing it on different, you know, different islands of chairs, which are slowly shrinking. That's awesome. I've never heard of that. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. It's like, well, yeah, co-op co-op musical chairs (laughs) probably doesn't you know follow any health and safety guidelines oh yeah no wouldn't fly in schools today (laughs) no absolutely not you know if you've got a whole bunch of nine-year-olds attempting to balance on a single chair yeah (laughs) i also think of like uh pandemic time i've gained a lot of weight and i'm like oh boy how many chairs am i gonna break (laughs) you know like that is always a problem you're like ah no (laughs) i feel you there i do five people piling onto one chair (laughs) obviously don't use the nice dinner table chairs yeah (laughs) no (laughs) plus it is definitely easier with children i think yeah yeah, probably not Probably not safe to play with teenagers, though. Oh, I imagine. Well, I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, well, I'm just thinking, you know how teenagers get. Yeah, a little rowdy. Could get a little, like, pushing off of chairs or trying to attack each other. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Friendships would be broken. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, that was great. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? No, I think that's pretty good, actually. No, I feel like we've talked for yeah, we've talked for ages, and it's been lovely. Yeah, it's nice catching up with you. I'm excited about all the like before. Library Labyrinth looked beautiful. It did. It looked great. Like I would have backed it instantly mm-hmm. as it was. And over the last nine months, it looks even better. Like I. Aww. I I would have never considered the octagon octagon tiles and it works so well. It's such a cool table presence and and I feel like it's come together really nicely. Oh, thank you. That's really kind. Yes, that's very much what we're going for. We're like, yes, let's make this really work. So, yeah. Uh, well, why don't you go ahead and plug everything you've got? I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> go crazy. So- 
by this point, Library Labyrinth will be live. So please do head on down to the Kickstarter and check it out. Um, we also have a website, which is librarylabyrinth.com, which has things like more photos of the game, some of the backgrounds for some of the characters, you know, how we got there. There's more of a story there about, you know, how it developed as well. So do go and check that out. Follow us on Twitter. Twitter is where we are mostly at. Um, so we're Descent Games there rather than the Library Labyrinth. But also head over to Facebook where we have a page for Library Labyrinth and we have a well we have a uh, we have a page for Descent Games and then a group for Library Labyrinth. So do come follow us there. But you can find us, you know, you can find us on Instagram and you can find us on Discord as well. But Twitter and Facebook are where we are most active. But yeah, come and back us. Come and be part of it. Thank you so much for listening. I had a lot of fun catching up with Jess and seeing the changes that have happened over the last nine months to the game. It looks amazing. It is live now. So it is presently at 86%, well on its way to being funded. I think it's so cool to see a team of women putting a game out there with women main characters and and it funding and doing well. I think it's so important to back those types of things. We want more of those voices. We want more females. We want more non-binary. We want more people of color. We really want this to be a very diverse industry. And what better way to show your support than supporting things that are actually made by those people. So thank you, Descent Games, for putting yourselves out there and and making this awesome-looking game. That's also a bonus, is that the game actually looks amazing. It's the type of game I would want on my table. Not a whole lot of other news. Friend and Foe Adventure Co., my side podcast. It's an actual play podcast of the Borderlands, Bunkers, and Badasses tabletop RPG, and it is a lot of fun. We don't take ourselves seriously. We just have a story going, we play, they go on little side things, they do things that I don't expect because I'm the bunker master and they are the players and I can never ever predict what they're going to do. So why am I prepping things? It's great. It's really wild. It is more explicit than this show. So if that's not your cup of tea, that's okay. But if it sounds like something that could be interesting. If you like laughing and don't mind a little cursing, you should go check it out. Friend and Foe Adventure Co. I just do projects that I love doing, and I would do it anyways, even if I wasn't doing a podcast. But I thought, hey, it'd be fun. And if other people enjoy listening to it, great. I'm not going to announce who next week's episode is, just in case it falls through. But it is another really, really big guest. One of my absolute favorite designers. And... Oh, knock on wood that I don't jinx it, but but we should be recording next early next week, and then I'll put the episode out on Friday. So be very excited about that. If you enjoy the board game community show, follow me on Twitter at RildNerd. You can interact with me on there. You can DM me if you have some feedback, or if you're loving the show, recommend it to your friends. Rate it, leave a review. It helps get ears on the podcast, and I really enjoy it. I love reading the reviews. And that is it. So until next week, keep nerding out. So I used to play a lot of rummy with my dad. And that was one of the things that we'd do together. It was a real sort of, you know, bringing together father-daughter moment. And so I have a lot of really good memories of just, you know, he and I sitting there playing rummy 500, normally 500. And of course, it's quite swingy. So... 
he was a risk taker, let's put it that way. (laughs) 